Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Um, before I get started, we're still in the series, as Gary said, of uh, uh, the mystery of marriage. This is our third week. And before we get started with that, um, I wanted to just give a brief announcement. Um, also, as, as Gary announced, and you can see in your bulletin, that we're going to be going back to the Czech Republic this summer, taking a small team. Uh, it's going to be August so wait, no, July 24th to August 8th, um, and we're going to be taking a small team, um, and uh, there's going to be an informational meeting in like three weeks. I think your programs say uh, the 19th, but uh, there's a high school retreat that weekend, and I wanted to make sure that everyone could come that wanted to come to that retreat or to that meeting. So um, it's going to be the following week. I think it's the 26th. It's right after the second service from 12 to 12.30. And uh, it's going to be a great opportunity. As some of you know, we've gone to Czech Republic before. Um, we have a sister church there that's kind of new. It's, it's in Velka Lota is the name of the village. And we've partnered uh, with the church in Setin, which is nearby, uh, before. And we do, what we do as short-term missions, we, we teach English and we do sports as a bridge to share the gospel with people. So if you're interested in anything like that, you're curious, um, you want to find out more about it, um, it's going to be an informational meeting three weeks from now after the second service. I encourage you to come. It's from anybody who's currently a junior in high school up until the age of 120. Um, so if any of you want to go, um, please come and find out more about it. Um, so there you go. So I want to dive in uh, to the message this, this morning. And uh, as I said before, uh, the mystery of marriage. Gary's like, where does that term mystery of marriage come from? It's from the Bible. Uh, it's from Paul's words in Ephesians, uh, talking about the profound mystery of marriage, how it reflects Christ in the church. That's where it comes from. If you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, I encourage you to uh, go online and to listen to the podcast of Dan's messages the last couple of weeks. He, they're really foundational to everything we're doing today, everything we're saying today and, and following. Um, really encourage you to do that if you haven't heard them. Um, but this morning, we get to ask the question, what's a woman to do? in the context of marriage. And I don't know how I drew the short straw on that one. Um, Pat, I know, I know because Pat's quicker than I am, and he's going to do next week uh, what's a man to do, uh, but I get what's a woman to do. Um, that's okay. It's God's providence, right? Um, and even though we all know that men clearly need more instruction than women, um, but the reason we're doing it in that order is because in Ephesians 5, Paul lays it out in that order. He first gives instructions to women first, wives first, and then husbands. That's why we're doing that order. Um, I'm going to throw out some disclaimers before I start. Number one, I hate submitting to any authority in my flesh. I hate it. Don't like it. I don't like authority by nature. I do it, but not always like happily. Um, but God usually blesses me when I do. Number two, I identify as a male. <laughs> Number three, I'm primarily teaching to women this morning, um, but I, I hope God has something for everybody. Uh, number four, virtually everything I'm about to say flies in the face of our culture because the Bible flies in the face of our culture. Uh, number five, I realize my greatest human level qualification to teach this morning is that I live with a woman who has shown me over and over again what it looks like for a godly wife to submit to a dork slug of a husband. So there you go. Um, those are my disclaimers. So I'm going to read Ephesians 5, 22 through 24 again. If you guys keep your fingers or, you know, digital fingers in that place, because uh, we're going to keep on going back and forth there. Um, 
Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. Let me read it one more time. This is where we'll be focusing our time. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Would you pray with me for our time uh, as we open up God's word? Dear Father, we, uh, we come before you as beggars. We come before you as needy um, sons and daughters of yours. Lord, uh, we, we, um, we need you. We need your word. We want to stand under your word this morning. Um, Lord, would you just, would you just uh, open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to what you have for us this morning? Um, this is not uh, um, always the... Um, most light, lightest uh, or more, most fun uh, topics of all topics, Lord. But we ha- you have us here in your word by your providence. We thank you for that. So Lord, would you just open our minds? Would you encourage us um, so, so we know how to live, and especially women this morning, would you encourage wives and even single women um, who are um, looking to you for, for help and design your design of marriage, your beautiful design. So Lord, just go before us, speak through me, help me come under your word and submit to it. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. What's a woman to do when her husband is lazy? What's a woman to do when her husband is not as sharp as she is? What's a woman to do when her husband demands submission? What's a woman to do when her husband is disengaged with the affairs of the family, when he's not loving her like Christ loved the church, when it seems like he loves his job more, or the kids more, or his toys more? When it, when a woman, uh, what's a woman to do when it seems like her husband will lead the family into ruin if she lets him lead? What's a woman to do when the things that she used to think were cute and quirky in her husband now drive her up the wall? What's a woman to do when her husband doesn't change into the man she'd hoped he'd be when they walked down the aisle? What's a woman to do when after 20 or 30 years of marriage, it's still the same issues? What's a woman to do when she's afraid of her husband's wrath every time she screws up or she feels like she's walking on eggshells all the time? What's, her, what's a woman to do when her husband embarrasses her in front of her friends or can't seem to ever make a decision on his own? When her husband won't open the door for her or let her go first or speak well of her to others, what's a woman to do when her husband's affectionate term for her to the guys is the old lady? What's a woman to do when her husband's not a believer? Maybe some of you women have asked some of those questions before in here. Um, Maybe you're just trying to get through another day of marriage. Maybe it's been really hard or maybe you're in a good season right now. I don't know. Um, We don't have time and the purpose of this message is not to dive into each one of those scenarios and, 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 ask, and, and find the answer uh, in a specific practical way. Um, that's not the purpose or design of this, of this message. Uh, what I want to do, what I hope we can do, is really first look at the principles behind what a woman is to do. And then, and then um, leave the practical part for the seminar that's coming up. So I encourage you, if you are a woman who struggled with these issues, have been in the midst of some of these things, I encourage you to come. I encourage you to come to that seminar because it will be very practical. It will speak into these specific issues. 
if at the end of the message you feel like you, you want to know more, or I encourage you to be to talk to your community group leaders and the people in your community group to share with them what your hardships are in marriage. Um, if you're not in the community group, that's what they're for, is to share burdens with each other. Um, I encourage you to come up to me or Pat or one of the other pastors, another leader, and just just talk afterwards. Um, but the purpose of this message is principle, not practice. It's going to be, but principle, not practical. Um, and so the question, the way I'd like to approach it is first, uh, before we ask the question of what's a woman to do in marriage, I want to look at what's a woman to be in marriage. Before we can look at what God designed her to do, uh, we need to look at what God, des- God designed her to be, being first, doing second. Being first, doing second. So to find out what a woman is to be in marriage, uh, we turn to Genesis 2, 18. So keep a finger in Ephesians and turn back to Genesis 2 with me. Genesis two eighteen, Or you can just look up, up on the screen. This is a uh, second chapter of the Bible. Um, Dan talked about this last week. Creation, everything God made was perfect and good and very good, in fact the end of chapter one, and then we see God say something that he hasn't said before. Um, and, it's, and it's chapter uh, two, verses 18. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him or uh, uh, perfect for him or set for him or uh, one that, 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 that complements him. That's what that means. A helper a helper. In Genesis 1, God created man, plural, in his image. Male and female, he created them. God gave man plural commands, natural and cultural mandates. This was mankind's mandate. Genesis 1, 28 through 29, it says this, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That was God's cultural mandate for man, plural, women and, and men. Okay? And God said all that to man, plural, in short. Fill the earth with people. Take care of it. Protect it. Use it. Make the most of it. Realize its potential. Realize the potential of human culture. And, is, and in so doing, spread my name over all the earth. That was our mandate, all of mankind, male and female. In chapter 2, what follows is God's best design for mankind to accomplish that mandate. Marriage. Marriage. And we see God's role for what a woman is to be a helper in that marriage. Marriage is God's best. It wasn't his purpose to have individual men going out on their own to fill and subdue the earth, and an individual woman to do the same, not only would that be impossible, but God calls that not good, that they would be alone in this task. God's best design was that marriage would be the best context for mankind to accomplish his purposes. That's why the first marriage follows in chapter two. God brought Eve to Adam. He was right there. And then we see how men and women can best work together to fill the earth, to subdue it. Eve was taken out of man, uh, who was made first as the head, um, to lead the charge, to accomplish this mandate. And Eve was to help Adam accomplish that mandate. That's the design. That's God's best. Adam was the head from the beginning. Eve was the helper from the beginning. The first sin was both of them fall, failing and to fulfill these roles. 
Adam distracted, not protecting Eve or the garden from the serpent. Eve uh, out front leading, pulling Adam along, Adam capitulating. They failed to to go, to do to, to, and to submit to that mandate. The highest call, the greatest mandate for a wife is to be a helper to her husband. A woman was designed primarily to fill this role in marriage. Everything else, all the other doings are subservient to this being. Submitting, respecting, obeying, listening, loving, sacrificing, feeding, caring for him are all sub, subsets of your being a helper, suitable or fit for your husband. Even if you're not married yet, or single, or divorced, and have no husband, God still made women uniquely to be helpers in ways that men are not suitable. Men are really good at not asking for help. They're really good at just like, okay, I'm just going to figure this out on my own. And women are really good at finding ways to help. Like, they're really good at seeing those gaps and filling them. That's how God designed them. They're really good at it. Um, the title and the big question of this message is, what's a woman to do? The context of marriage, what's a woman to do? And here's the answer. It's super easy. It's very explicit in scripture. From the beginning, help your husband. Help him. Only you have the greatest ability to do that. You are best suited to help your husband. No one else can help him like you can. That's the design. This is what God wants you to do. This is actually the highest calling of, you, of your marriage is to help your husband. End of the sermon. Worship team, come up. Just kidding. Um, you only wish. Um, if I were to ask you, what do you think defines a helper? What makes a helper a helper? What would you say? What, would you, what are some of those things? And let me, I'm going to submit, I'm going to offer three suggestions of what a helper is. A helper Number one, has some skill, some strength, or ability to offer, right? Imagine you were drowning. This is a weird analogy. I just thought of it. Couldn't think of a better one. Imagine you were drowning, and very near you on a shore were three people. One, a baby in a stroller. Two, uh, your, your best friend who can't swim. And number three, a David Hasselhoff-type lifeguard guy. Um, you're crying out for help. You're drowning. Who do you cry out to help for? The baby, right? No, um, you, you cry out for the lifeguard person, the person who, who has the strength to help you. That's what you do. That's what helpers do. They have strength to help. They have something to offer, um, some strength, insight, or ability. Number two, a helper is always on the lookout for ways to help. Duh, right? Like, that's what makes them a helper. Um, they look for ways to help. They look for gaps, weaknesses, to fill, needs to fill. They are on the lookout for ways they can step in and their strength to add to those in need. Women, that's what you are to do. Look for ways to add your strength to your husband's weakness or his strength. Men, let them. She'll make you look better. Uh, I, I've just been like, man, I, I haven't got this right in my marriage many times. Like, I'm, you know, like I'm independent. I feel like I could do it on my own. I'm prideful. I don't like help. But I've learned, I've gotten smarter, God's sanctified me, he's grown me, that whenever I ask Lori for help, things always work out better. Like, I just, I, I can accomplish more, I can do more, we can do it together. Um, every wise thing that comes out of my mouth usually comes from her. Um, she helps me. She's good at it. Number three, a helper adds their strength to another. 
Um, the way Lori, when she um, is, is encouraging other women, I love this, um, um, to, as their roles, um, in their roles as wives, she says a helper is someone who adds their strength to another. That's what that word in Hebrew means. It's, it means you have something to offer. When she looks at her own role as my helper, she says she's trying to add her strength to mine. Uh, and that's what a woman's supposed to be in marriage. That's what she's supposed to be, a helper. Then now we come to the question entitled the message, what's a woman supposed to do? How do you do that? What are the implications of that? How and what can she do to be that helper for, that's fit for her husband? And for those answers, we go back to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, 22. Um, in 5, 22 through 24, we hear the word submit. And in verse 33, we don't really have time to go here. And I'm, I'm bummed. It's always like, what do I not say in a message? But uh, verse 33 talks about wives respecting their husband. It's a good word. I submit it to you guys for your further study. It's a great word. Um, and I think we in our culture have no idea what it means uh, in a biblical sense. Um, so it's a good word. Look at it. We'll probably talk about it in the, in the seminar. Um, but submission and respect, that's, the, that's, how, that's what to do in, 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 in subservient to helping in a marriage. There's an assumption first that Paul uh, makes in this passage. It's crucial to recognize. Um, in this passage, for this passage to impact you, Paul assumes he's talking to Christians. He's, he's assuming that he's talking to people who have already ordered their lives under Christ. Already... Christians um, who have ordered their life under Christ. If you haven't done that, if you haven't ordered your life under Christ, then this passage and everything in it is about to sound like lunacy to you. Uh, It's crazy. It's absurd. It will go uh, against the grain of everything you hold to be true if you haven't already submitted yourself to Christ. If you haven't ordered your life under Christ, you don't really understand submission. You haven't actually really seen true submission. And that's what submit means here. That's what the word means, to submit. It means to order yourself under. Wives are to order themselves under their husband. It's an order. The husband is not commanded to bring about the submission. He's not doing it. He's not making her submit. He's not lording anything over her, as some husbands in the past have done, have taken this out of context, have have abusively demanded submission of their wives. That's not what he's saying. He's saying wives Willingly submit yourselves to your husbands. Willingly come under them in order. In order. It's a military term. It means, it's like, it's like you're, you're ordering yourself under a commanding officer in the military. That's what the word was commonly used in the Greek at that time. A military term. It's all about order. And this is how it works. Christ is the head of the church. He's the top. All men and women who are followers of Christ, whether single or married, order themselves under him. When a single lady who's already been submitting to Christ gets married, she stays submitted to Christ. And by ordering themselves under their husbands who are ordering themselves under Christ, the wives are still ordered under Christ. Does that make sense? It's all in order. Christ is the head. Submitting to your husband is the same as submitting to Christ. In the same act, you are ordering yourself under both. In the parallel passage in Colossians 3.23, that's the the verse that says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as serving the Lord, not men. Since you know your inheritance you receive is from the Lord, um, it's the Lord Christ you are serving. Every time you are serving or helping your husband, you are in fact serving Christ in the same act. That's what that means. So here's a question. 
for you women. So women, here's, there you go. Here's a question. Uh, How can I order myself under my husband in such a way that I can help him the most? It's a great question. How can I order myself under my husband in such a way that I can help him the most? Remember, you're helpers first to your husbands. You are adding your strength to his. You can't help your husband unless you have something to offer him by way of strength. In the same way, you can't submit anything unless you have some strength to, uh, to order under him, right? Someone who is weaker has no choice but to submit to someone stronger, right? You don't have to command someone who's weaker to submit to someone who's stronger because it just happens. Only someone who is already strong has to make a decision on whether or not to submit to someone. It's assumed here that wives have something to submit some strength, some will, uh, control to lay down, to order under. It's a choice of the will. In fact, the greatest act of submission can only come from the one with the greatest power. The stronger you are, women, the greater the act of submission. Notice that this passage doesn't qualify gifts personalities, strengths, talents. It just identifies roles. It doesn't matter if the wife is stronger leader than the husband. It doesn't matter if the husband has a slower mind than the wife. It doesn't matter if the wife sees things with more clarity than the husband. Her role as the wife dictates that she would order herself under her husband. How do you do that? If the greatest submission comes from the one with the greatest power, then no one submitted like Christ. No one submitted like Christ. 1 Peter 2, 21 through three one says this, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the, to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. We sang about that earlier, that we might die to sin and rebellion. By his wounds, you have been healed. We have been healed, justified. For you were were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And then verse one, likewise then wives be subject or same word, submit to your husbands so that even if they do not obey the word, they might be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. No one submitted like Christ. No one could. As Dan said last week, helper does not mean weaker. Um, Helper doesn't imply weakness, someone who is lesser than. Submitting doesn't imply weakness either. On the contrary, the best helpers and the best submitters, if that's a word, are strong ones. Wives, order yourselves under your husbands like Christ submitted himself to authorities. You know, Jesus, the most powerful being on the earth, uh, the, the most powerful being in the universe, who laid aside all that power and submitted the most. Here's the deal, though, right? It's hard to submit. Plain old hard. I gave you my disclaimer. I don't like doing it. Who likes submitting? It's, it's against our nature, our human nature, to submit. The first sin of Eve and the first sin of Adam was a lack of submission. When Eve approached, was approached by the serpent, why didn't she say, um, 
Adam, let's talk to this guy together. Or Adam, you're going to have to talk to my husband first. Why didn't she say that? Um, it was a lack of submission. When, when uh, Adam uh, didn't step in, who was there the whole time watching this happen, he didn't step in between and crush that serpent's head. It was a lack of submission to God's authority and rule and, and mandate that, that Adam had to subdue the earth. Why is it hard for, for women to submit to husbands? Uh, because everything in you doesn't want to. Um, your very nature rebels against submission. If you're a human being, your nature rebels against submission. That's why it's hard. It's the curse. Genesis 3.16, when God is uh, laying down the curses, he curses the woman, and he says there, there's a curse because of your sin. Um, it literally can be translated, your desire shall be contrary to your husband or against him. And, and yet he shall rule over you. It's a setup for every marital relational conflict ever that ever happened from the very beginning. Imagine this, women. If your husbands loved you perfectly, like Christ loved the church, he loved you with a perfect sacrificial love. He always considered your needs before his own. He, um, wouldn't it still be hard to submit? It might be easier. I mean, just ask Lori. Every time I'm perfectly loving her, it's still hard for her to submit to me. Um, it's still hard to do. It's still hard to do because of our natures. We, we're rebels by nature, and it's only by God's power, his Holy Spirit, that allows us to submit. Why did God, what did God do in the garden that was so bad that Adam and Eve couldn't submit to it? Like, what did he do um, that they wouldn't want to order themselves under him, yet they still failed to do it? It was still hard, Right? In verse 22, it says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Why does it say your own husbands there? I wondered that, like, why your own? Isn't that obvious? And this is what I think it means. Um, I think it's this. You need to submit yourselves to the husbands that you have. Not the husbands you wish you had. Not your future husband. Not someone else's husband. Or the idea of your husband. Or the hope of your husband but your actual smelly, hairy dork of a husband that you have now. Uh, I know I'm painting husbands in a bad picture, bad light, but I can do that. Um, not, that the husband, not the husband he used to be, not the one you dated, not the one you hope he will mature into, the one you got. If you can't be with the one you love, honey, love the one you're with. That's that song. All the single ladies in the house, if you are waiting for a guy who is worthy of your submission who will deserve it, who will honor it, who won't take advantage of you, who won't take you for granted. You will be waiting a while. Uh, be prepared for a lifetime of singleness. If you are prepared to submit as long as your husband loves you in such a way that makes him worthy of your submission, you should stay single. Lori submits to me not because I'm worthy of it, but because she's ordered herself under Christ first, who desires that she'd be ordered under me. I'm not worthy of her submission. I don't love her in such a way to deserve any respect, submission, or help. Her eyes are fixed on the Lord first. She is serving the Lord Christ by serving me. That's it. In those two few, few moments when I am loving her, like Christ loves the church, they're, they're hopefully getting more and more. Um, then it's great for her, like, like awesome uh, blessing. But, but regardless, she, she loves me because she's ordering herself under Christ first. That's her goal. That's what she's, she's growing in, and I've watched her. And here's the deal. It's a marriage covenant, not contract. And, and, and I just wanted to draw a contrast between what our culture says marriage should be and what the Bible says marriage should be here. 
Okay? Our culture says marriage is contractual. And, our, and, and the Bible and the scripture says marriage is covenantal. And here's the difference. What's the difference? A contract says this. I will submit to you like the church submits to Christ if you love me like Christ loves the church. A covenant says I will submit to you like the church submits to Christ regardless of whether you love me like Christ loves the church. Same for the husband. It's a covenantal love, not a contractual love. If you love your husband with a contractual love, there are only two outcomes. Number one, when, you're, when, not if, when your husband fails you, you will suppress it, you will withhold your love from him, and you will live divorced, separate lives within the same household. You will be roommates, you will live codependent and yet independent lives that enable each other to sin while you continue to bear your feelings of hurt because of your husband's failings. Number two, you will divorce him. Maybe give him a shot or two to redeem himself, to be perfectly loving again. But when he fails you a second or third time, divorce will happen. So contractual love says uh, it will end in one of those two ways. Number one, divorce that stays under the same roof. And number two, a divorce under two roofs. Contractual love will always end in one of those two ways. Why? Because your husband will fail to love you like Christ loved the church. Because your husband is a man who was born with a, a nature to rebel. And um, he will fail. Even, even a Christ-following husband will fail you from time to time. He brings brokenness with him. You have married or will marry or will avoid marriage to a broken man. There's no other option. You also have no option but to bring a broken woman into the relationship. You also bring brokenness with you. For a contractual love to work you would have to hold yourself to the same standard as you would your contractual husband, right? As long as you submit to him and everything as the church submits to Christ, then he will love you as Christ loves the church. It's a contract. As long as you're worthy of his sacrificial love, then he'll give it to you. As long as you don't try to usurp his authority in your life and everything, finances, kids, schooling, food choices, shopping habits, entertainment, choices, if you've never tried to exert your own authority in those areas, you're worthy of his sacrificial Christ-like love. Both contractual and covenantal loves are broken, right? But the difference is that covenantal love, when faced with brokenness, can stay love in the midst of it. Contractual love, when faced with brokenness, leaves. It breaks apart. It blows up. It, it, it's gone. Covenantal love is the only love that can function in a broken world. It's the kind of love that the Lord has for us. It's the love that we just read about in 1 Peter. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. It's what compelled Jesus to submit to death on a cross. He didn't look at humans and say, wow, they're, they're worth dying for. Those guys, yeah, they, they held up their end of the bargain, so therefore I'm going to die for them. That's not what happened, right? No, God, by sending Jesus to die for us, is simultaneously holding up his side of the covenant and our side. He's like, if you will obey me, I will be your people. You'll be my people, I will be your God. Um, if you don't obey me, then we have no relationship. Well, we didn't obey. People didn't obey. We rebelled. And God said, here's a unilateral covenant. I'm going to send my son, Jesus, and I'm going to uphold my bargain and yours by paying for what you deserve by not holding up your covenant. That's what Jesus did on the cross. It's a covenantal love. He loves us regardless. He loved us while we are still covenant-breaking sinners. The only way you and your husband can have 
have this kind of love as if you both order yourselves under Christ as your head. Women sometimes get this order wrong. Instead of keeping Christ as the head, they replace uh, Christ with their husbands or their boyfriends or their fiancés. They look to their husbands and boyfriends to be their knights in shining armor. You know, the one who will come and slay the dragon and he, he's up on his mighty steed with his shining armor and he's, just, he's going to protect, he's going to provide, he's going to defend her honor. But when the husband fails to uphold this high and lofty position, he gets a few scuffs on his armor. He falls off his horse. A few times the woman gets crushed. Her life and hopes and dreams get ruined by this this mere mortal of a man, right? She has only a couple options at that point. Number one, she could go find another knight who will stay up on the horse a little bit longer. Maybe. Number two, she could ignore and minimize his failure to meet her expectations. Number three, she could try to control him and force him to fit in a mold which he will continue to fail. Or number four, she could forgive him and, and, and help him by adding her strength to his weaknesses. And remember that you're not always the beautiful princess worth saving either. Your husband is not your savior. You can't put him in the place of your true knight in shining armor. Jesus has already slain the dragon for you. He's already done it. He's defeated Satan, the dragon. He is already your hero. He's already swept you off your feet. If you know him, it's impossible and... and, and, and You cannot put your husband in that role. Your husband is not your savior. Jesus is and will always be and only be your savior and hero. Yet, that doesn't leave husbands off the hook, right? Like we're still called to be Christ-like as we order ourselves under Christ. We're we're called to and grow in being our wives' heroes, right? And, and, And being Christ to our wives, sacrificing. And we're going to talk more about that next week as Pat opens up the word. But hear this. The degree to which your world blows up based on your husband's actions or inactions is the degree to which you put him in the place of God in your marriage. The degree to which your world blows up based on your husband's actions or inactions is the degree to which you put him in the place of savior in your marriage. You order yourself under Christ first. If your husband is where he's supposed to be, he's standing under Christ, you under him. Therefore, everything you do for your husband, you're ultimately doing for Christ. Christ is behind your husband. You look through your husband to Christ. He is, Christ is your ultimate protector, your ultimate provider, your ultimate sustenance, your ultimate hero, your ultimate uh, savior. Lori used to be in charge of our finances. She's the financial nerd in the family. I'm the free spirit. I fell off the proverbial financial stallion early on. She realized that. Um, she could see, like, uh, there, uh, I wouldn't be slaying any, like, financial dragons in any near future. Uh, it was up to her to protect the family. Um, it's, it's one area where I was just definitely not leading my family. And I remember, like, four or five years ago, I was coming on to be a pastor here, and I was reluctant. I didn't, I, I held back because I wasn't managing my household well, especially in this area. And I just, I felt, like, convicted because in First Timothy 3, one of the requirements for an elder pastor of a church is to be able to manage your household well, right? And it's a, it's obviously like a, it's not, it's direction, not perfection, but, and I'm growing in that still. But 
I, I just didn't want to, I wasn't, I wasn't leading my family well. And so I, I told Lori, I said, I want to take over the finances. And uh, she was terrified, I think. Um, she saw a, gr- a giant collection agent dragon looming on the horizon, ready to eat us and burn us out of our home into a poor house. Um, she prayed. She submitted to Christ first. She trusted and believed that God was her family's provider, ultimately, and not me. He was the Savior, not me. And whether or not we lost everything, she was going to trust God over her free-spirited financial disaster of a husband. And she jumped off a cliff. She did. And now we live on the streets. It's great. No, <laughs> we don't. Um, but we're happy. No, uh, God, God by, in his grace... God and his grace, uh, we we're not in financial ruin, and I've grown. And what it's made me do, and this, this, is what, this is what this has made me do, it's made me rise to the occasion. Like, it's made me want to, it's empowered me knowing that she's, she's helping me in that way, is empowering me to want to be the hero financially in our family. I want to, I want to do it now. Like, I hate numbers, but I still want to do it because I want to be the hero. Because, because she's behind me. She's lifting me up by helping me. And that's the picture, and that's what it's like. Because she's looking to Christ to submit uh, to um, as the provider, not me, ultimately. So, so here's the question. We'll close with these next few paragraphs. What motivates a woman to submit to be a helper to her husband? It's ordering herself under Christ first the one who upheld the covenantal love, the one who was above all, before all time, who came in the flesh, submitting himself to death on a cross. We just read this in 1 Peter. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you what? An example so that you might follow in his steps. But is Christ just our example? Like if we left this message and I said, okay, Christ is your example. He submitted. You, should, you women, you should do what he did. Go do that. Wouldn't you leave like with despair, possibly? Like is Christ only our example? Is he only our example or is he more? He is our example, but is he more than that? Because if you could do it like he did it, then you wouldn't have needed him to do it for you. See, Christ isn't just our example, but he's our, he's our substitute. He is our example, but he's also our substitute. He's already submitted on your behalf to authorities that were cruel. He's already submitted to authorities on your behalf of clueless, clueless authorities. He's already done it on your behalf, submitted to the point of death on a cross for you so that by ordering yourself under Christ as your head, the Father already sees you as perfectly helping and submitting legally before him. He sees you as righteous. He sees you there. So there's no guilt there. Um, You can't just go and muster up the courage and will to follow Christ's example without him being your substitute. He gives you the power and the Holy Spirit to do it by being your substitute for you. But that's not it either. There's more. He's not just our example. He's not just our substitute. Wives, what motivates you to be a helper to your husbands? He is our father. He is the one. Why did he do all that? Like, it's not, it's not good enough just to look at what Jesus did and remind ourselves of that. But that, that's good. But what's better is to, to ask ourselves maybe why. Why would Jesus do all that? Isn't that a higher motivation to ask why? Why did he do what he did? Why would Jesus submit himself to such punishment? Why would he do that? Why did he purchase us with his blood? Why did he endure 
the cross? Why did Yahweh not annihilate Adam and Eve and start over? Why does he extend grace? Why does he extend mercy? Because he wants to bring you to himself. He wants to reconcile you to himself. 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. If you've ordered your life under Christ, you're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God who, through Christ, what? Reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Dan mentioned last week that one of the chief purposes of marriage is um, relationship, is companionship, friendship. You should be a friend and a companion to your spouse. That's one of the chief purposes of marriage, friendship. And, And marriage is supposed to picture Christ and the church, right? Why did Christ do all that he did for the church? The same reason the church should submit to Christ, companionship. What if that's why God did all he did through Jesus? Companionship. He did. What if God just desires relationship with you? And that's all of what Jesus did was for. And and what if that's what marriage is about? To draw you closer to himself. Not only to reconcile yourselves to each other, but as you do that, you get reconciled to him. Isn't that our highest motivator? That when we see all of what he's done to draw us in to himself, that we would so not want to hinder that relationship, so not want to break anything that has to do with us being in his arms someday and, and coming to him. Wouldn't we, wouldn't we want to uh, have our marriages be the way God designed them, not so for any other reason but to be in relationship with him because our relationship with him is broken when our relationship was broken with our spouse. That's our motivator. That's wives, that's your motivator to submit because God is reconciling you to himself. Your true husband, your true hero, your true helper wants to be with you and the way he's designed that best way for that to happen is through marriage, if you're married. That should motivate us. Let me pray, bring the, the team up. Dear Father, we uh, thank you for being our helper. Thank you for being the one who submitted Jesus to authorities that were cruel, to leaders who um, had no clue. Thank you for submitting yourself to punishment. Thank you for taking um, and being reviled, but not reviling in return, but just taking it all the way to the cross. Jesus, that is our example. Thank you for being our substitute as well, that we we couldn't do that. We couldn't follow in your footsteps on our own strength, but yet you did it for us on our behalf. Also, that we can be in relationship with you, Father. Thank you. Let that motivate us as a church. We need your help. We're desperate. Um, Marriage is hard, Lord. Um, It's hard. And, and it's because we are so independent by nature. Help us be ones who submit to you first and to love each other um, 
as you design God. Help the wives in this church, help the women in this church to do the hard thing, to make a choice, to submit even when, even when they see their spouse not worthy of it. Because Jesus, you are worthy of it. Um, Lord, we pray this in your precious and matchless name. Amen. Mm-hmm.